Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends or your family and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, Greg Wycliffe, is a very gifted writer. He's a producer, consultant, and entrepreneur extraordinaire who helps businesses and individuals optimize their communication. Greg's been on uh, his journey of making a difference in the world for many years, and he uses his sales marketing know-how to grow his business, as well as to support his clients in being very concise and being impactful when communicating to get their point across to their clients. When Greg is working on his business, he is inspired to deliver messages on his YouTube channel, where he features musical parodies, satirical sketches, comedy, and social commentary, mostly pertaining to... uh, Canadian politics. Listen in as Greg and I cover a wide range of topics today. At times, we do get a little political and wonder what the future may hold. Listen in. Going to be a great show. Greg Wycliffe, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. So great to uh, have you join me on the show, Greg. Thanks so much for having me, Patrick. Glad to be here. Yeah, so I want to have a little bit of fun with this because, you know, here's the thing. I actually discovered you, I didn't discover you, but I came across you on YouTube and you were doing a really cool rant kind of thing. And uh, you do some really cool satirical kind of stuff on on YouTube, but you have a much broader background than that. So why don't we start as I like to do, because my audience doesn't know you. Tell me, what do you do, Greg? What do I do? Well, uh, I grew up in uh, Kingston, Ontario, Canada. Went to school for uh, for media studies in London, Ontario, and also radio broadcasting. Did a combination program, media theory and production. But I also started to do door-to-door sta- sales during the summer. Got a taste of sales. So my first career job was actually an account manager at uh, 
a radio conglomerate selling radio ads. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw the technological shift happening, especially in advertising. Everything was going digital. So I pivoted into a business development role for a video production company. Mm-hmm. From there, I did an interesting little detour into politics. And now I am a communications consultant. And I help individuals and businesses make their you know, message get across concisely and to the point because, you know, no one has any attention these days. So you need to uh, need to get to the point right away. So when you do that in terms of the message around communication, this is interesting because lots of businesses out there, you're, you're right. I mean, there's certainly those businesses that are older aren't really keeping up with technology. There's some brand new stuff that's kind of maybe even ahead of the curve of technology. So in, in that role that you play, when you talk about media and communications, is there a specialty that you have? Is it in any kind of uh, kind of communication or, or do you have a, a real niche that you focus on in supporting businesses to do that? So I'm a big believer in video, first and foremost, mm-hmm. uh, in the huge world of digital marketing. It's a huge ocean, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the major languages is video mm-hmm. more and more. Uh, you know, I'm not, it's not that it's better or worse than any of, uh, you know, a blog or any other type of content, but it is a major language. And especially with the logic of digital marketing, people get caught up in the numbers, the stats, the tracking, all the all the data. Sure. And I always tell people like, don't lose track of the fact that it's, we're dealing with human beings here. Mm-hmm. We're dealing with human beings who are making decisions like human beings make decisions. And so, yeah, I, I definitely am a big advocate of video. And I would say I am, I focus on the actual consulting because sometimes my feedback to clients will go into brand strategy. Sometimes it will go into content strategy. And I ask those questions. I challenge people's thinking to really kind of see to make sure that their that their messaging is concise and to the point as it can be and maybe sometimes when um when explaining their product or their their unique selling proposition sometimes there's a great analogy they could be using sometimes there's an even quicker way to communicate that value and that's and that's kind of what i focus on script writing is is something that i would say my major skill when it comes to that now, do you see a, a common breakdown in what people are trying to do? It's an interesting conversation. I mean, I'm a small business owner myself, and I work mm-hmm. with lots of small business owners, lots of real estate investors. And in our space, we, you know, we're constantly, you know, saying to people, treat your real estate investing like a business. Now, within that context of treating it like a business, you've got to attract clients slash tenants. You've got to maybe raise capital for certain projects. Maybe you're actually selling a project. There's all sorts of ways that business is related to real estate. So, I often see, you know, individuals trying to get into that world, whether and and generally, by the way, I see it on social media. That's not, you know, like Facebook, big Facebook guys, uh, you know, some YouTube stuff. But when you're looking at when you talk about media right now and you're supporting clients where you're, you're saying produce video content, we're big believers in that at the Real Estate Investment Network. We do a lot of video stuff. Uh, and and try and produce content. And so what are you seeing? Do you see a gap in what's happening these days? Or where do you give the most feedback or guidance? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about how to use video properly. It, from From my experience, the big successful brands, they get video. They know how to use video. They're using video. 
but there's definitely a huge gap when it comes to the the SMEs. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a little bit of confusion there of what video should or can be used for, and um, yeah, because you know when, when you're kind of putting video out there for the sake of video, I always say that's that's usually not a good sign. If you if you're just kind of trying to throw a video out there for the sake of video, there's a lot of value that can be communicated through video. One is experience. One is authenticity and information. And uh, it, it can really change depending on, on, on where you are, because sometimes communicating that experience is what needs to be communicated in the video. And if that's the case, you don't need that much of a production value necessarily. Uh, it can be very authentic if you're communicating your personality, for example. So it's really, it really depends on you know, what your business is and kind of where you're at, what your budget is, of course. But there's a lot of thought that can go into that. And unfortunately, there isn't really any kind of easy answer to say all video should be like this. It really depends on your business and on your, you know, what's going on. Like for example, a, a, um, a food and restaurant brand, you know, you probably don't want to be doing how to's necessarily. You probably just want shots of your food. Maybe occasionally you'll have like a charming chef or a charming cook or a charming owner who might kind of chime in at one point and you get to like show your, show off your personality. But, uh, in that sense, especially if it's a local restaurant, you kind of want the local charm to shine through. So kind of having more of a high production value, not necessarily, not necessarily makes sense for, for a kind of small local restaurant. So it really does. It depends a lot on, you know, what your specific business is, I would say. Well, we go back to something you said earlier though, which is, you know, where people look at, you know, uh, click rates or they're looking at how many people viewed the video mm-hmm. and you know you made an interesting point there that I don't want to step over which is at the end of the day you're still speaking with people you know and so when you look at that aspect of it what does that mean so when you as somebody who kind of consults in that space what's your underlying message or what's your what's your message behind that you know yes of course we're dealing with people but what does that mean to you or what does it mean for um, yeah. media communication of course so um the best way to explain it is, you know, bad traffic and, and good traffic, good quality traffic, bad quality traffic. You know, I would much rather get 10 people viewing my ad or viewing my video who are very likely to buy or very likely to come to my restaurant as opposed to 10,000 random people watching me from Iran or Egypt. Oh, I got 10,000 views. I got 10,000 impressions on this ad. Okay, so what? I don't care. Did that lead to a sale or not? Are these the right people we're supposed to be speaking to? And the, and the sad reality that I'm not sure if people know this, but statistically, it's very easy. You know, Most of the stuff in digital marketing out there is crap. And I don't, I don't mean that to disparage all like, oh, what you're using doesn't work, but just statistically, because there is so many options, there are so many people hustling digital products that statistically they, that most of them have to be absolute garbage. But um, I'm, I'm sure if you're in real estate, you probably know this, you probably know how to, you know, you need to use your diligence these days in terms of knowing what's a good product and what's not. It does come down to being agile on social media and really kind of warming up the brand, warming up your messaging that way. But um, yeah, you, you need to look out for the crap out there. And remember, you know, the conversion is what's important. Uh, th- there's lots of other numbers that are, that are interesting to, to, to track. And when you are a big brand, it can be interesting to kind of like, you know, get into that data and see where the trends are and where people are living and, and how 
if they're in, you know impressed by your stuff or not. But especially when it comes down to an SME, you know you need to be reaching the right people. You need to be reaching the right people with the right message, and it comes down to some sort of human connection. And that's another reason why I'm a huge believer in video, because uh, you know there, there's nothing, especially when we can't really see each other face to face anymore. A, a, a video uh, is really helps, really helps the charm along, really helps the uh, persuasion as well. Well, it's you know, and 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 because of. Rain is an organization. I mean, ultimately, we're a, an education company, a research company, and a, a real estate investor resource business. So, you know, we're not selling real estate. That's one of the things that sets us apart. We are actually providing content and education and research for real estate investors. Now, here's the key about this, you know, is that we're sales driven. We have to be. That's how we as a business stay going and how we have a team and all the things that we do value we bring value as much as we can and but what i see often and and because i'm a small business owner and i work with small business owners we talk about you know the sales funnel and do you this is my experience and and or my observation i don't want to call it my experience but my observation when you're supporting small business owners greg in that marketing component of it do you find that they're trying to make the sale they think that making the sale at the video or do they mm. rather than understanding you're trying to create relationship the best you can which goes to your point about you know being authentic are you do you believe in your own product can you actually express it in a way that people go hey this is very interesting i want to find out more about what this person is selling or doing and do then so do you see the clarity in that distinction or do you find that most people are just trying to sell hard into uh, a market without understanding the whole sales funnel process. Yeah, there, there's a, there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding there. I would say the buyer's journey. Absolutely. Mm. When it when it comes to video or content in general, you know, yeah, you're you're right. It's not it's not about the beginning, especially if it's an advertisement. You're not trying to make the sale. You're trying to get them to curious. You're trying to get them to know more. And in that case, kind of going right for the sale does doesn't make sense. You you want to get them curious thinking more, finding out more, going to your website, and that's where the actual conversion happens. So you're absolutely right. It isn't, uh, there, there is, you know, there, you need to be conscious and cognizant of that buyer's journey. And, um, and again, it does, it does change, uh, industry to industry, of course, you know, if, if it's, if it's a restaurant or something like that, you're kind of going great. You're going right for the, uh, right for the taste buds. But if it's something like, you know, commercial real estate it's uh, kind of a longer longer buying process <laughs> that's a long tail you know, sale so you're, not, you're not gonna you're not gonna see a facebook ad and be like i'm gonna buy i'm gonna buy that property right now <laughs> so uh absolutely you're right so okay so now then this is what you do this is kind of uh is this you know this is the gig that you have that uh puts you know bread on the table and you cash in your bank account. And then I want to know a little bit, because you mentioned it earlier, is you got into politics or you started being interested in politics. I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming that's what morphed you into this satirical kind of stuff that you're doing on YouTube, which is is very, very good. I, I align with your uh, satire generally and you, and you can do a good job of it. So, um, you know, you express you. it quite Thank well. You. Now, there, there, so the, is there a little acting career in, in between all that? You took, we were what, you uh, took drama in high school? What, what What's the story behind how you even morphed into what you're doing today? <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I, I loved drama class. 
I would make silly videos with friends in high school. We'd present them at the uh, at the school assemblies. So I suppose I always had this creative edge or creative uh, desire. And in many ways, like I kind of went to university for something that was related to that, you know, media theory and production uh, and then radio broadcasting. And if, if I'm perfectly honest with your audience, I, um, you know, I pursued radio because George Carlin was my idol at the time. <laughs> George is so good. Yeah. And I, I had just read his book at the end of high school and it's like, oh, he's started in radio. I got I got to get into radio. Not of, of course not thinking at all of what my career might be down the road. That's me at the end of high school for you. Yeah, so I've always kind of been like a shadow artist, I guess. I've always loved comedy and this sort of stuff. And uh long story short with the political stuff, I learned all about media theory and the importance of mass media, how it relates to our democracy. And as I saw this <clears throat> drama teacher get elected, I started to follow politics. I started to look at the news more closely. I started to, you know, do my own research. And I thought, you know, the media in our country is really getting into the territory of being very biased. And from what I learned in school, this is a huge threat uh, to our democracy. This is showing, this is showing cracks in the foundation of our democracy. So I started to pay attention more and look into it more. And I got a little bit more and more alarmed before I knew it. I was, uh, I ran as a candidate in the 2019 election and that, uh, learned a lot, <laughs> learned a lot. I'll say that. But, um, the reason I segued into YouTube is I, I ran with the people's party of Canada. We were getting smeared in the media very aggressively and I had to do damage control. I had to make videos kind of debunking what people were hearing in the news and showing them, Hey, we, we had one of the most diverse parties, uh, in 2019. And you never even heard about that. Global news didn't cover that. You know, Maxime Bernier always disavowed all these things. No, 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 we're not, we're not anti-immigrant, none of this. And, um, I knew that the best way to challenge all of that, all of that messaging and all of that uh, smearing was with was with my own propaganda, so to speak, my own my own videos. And um, obviously, I, I employed as much humor as possible because only a few years ago, I was that Canadian who did not care at all about Canadian politics. So I thought I need to make this stuff funny. I need to make people care about this because I know that unfortunately in Canada, I'm finding more and more, a lot of Canadians are kind of resistant to kind of really engaging with the politics in their own country. Yeah, They love to watch the stuff south of the border, but the stuff in their own country, they're kind of uh, very passive with, unfortunately. Well, isn't that it? But there's an interesting part of that, right? So, which is first and foremost, they love to watch what's going on in the South because then, you know, you don't have to be connected to what's happening in your own backyard. You know, I think it's just a total distraction. But that's an aside. Hmm. Why are we speaking so much about what's going on South? You know, leading up to the election with Biden and Trump is, you know, you, you can't overstep or deny the sheer volume of content that was coming out of our Canadian stations about what's happening in the South. Now, so do I have a it's view crazy. of that? Absolutely. I go, why the hell are we having a conversation about a, a U.S. election? Why is that of such an interest? Why are we driving interest in that when we've got an absolute meltdown going on in our own country and, uh, you know, dealing with a pandemic that nobody seems to know what the hell to do? So to me, it was like, OK, where's our priorities and why are we? Why? So this is easy to get on a, a media rant, I guess, if you will, is that, you know, here we have these stations, you know, talking about 
what's going on in the U.S., totally ignoring what's going on in Canada, not highlighting that. Investigative journalism is no such thing. Uh, investigative, uh, investigative journalists actually get trashed. So I, I can go on a rant as, as well in that whole thing. You know, it, it fires me up. But so when you look at your own political interests and, you know, at some point you said, I can make a difference, you know, so what drove and we'll talk a lot about I want to talk about what's going on in media and what's what's happening and all over it. But I'm more interested right now, Greg, in in what drove you to say, I can make a difference. I'm going to get into politics. I'm going to run in a race. I'm going to get into this party and and I'm going to pound this drum and try and make a difference. What kind of fires you up to do that? I think it was. I've never been asked that question before. They're quite like that. And I think it was actually initially kind of a fight or flight response. I was seeing a lot of stuff happening and just a lot of misleading. And and this is what I tell people. It's not that like the media lies to people. They tell you stuff that is technically true. And the best analogy I've heard is if you're in a dark room and you have just a little like lamp, a little shining spotlight, if you put it in one spot of the room, you know, you see certain a certain part of the room. But if you move the light, you see something completely different. Sure. And I I was very alarmed by what was being paid attention to and not being paid attention to, how certain politicians were framed and how other politicians were framed. And it was becoming so abundantly clear to me that I found and I would I would talk to people I knew and hear their perceptions of it. And they were and they didn't question this stuff at all. And you know, I don't care if this sounds cheesy, but I thought of my grandfather who fought in World War II, mm-hmm. you know, and I thought, huh, you know, he he stood up and did something about what he thought was wrong. Obviously, I guess he was kind of a little bit more forced into it, but I I kind of had that sort of visceral response and I would be kind of sitting you know, I had visual communications and marketing as a business development. And I would occasionally kind of like look on Twitter during my breaks and be like, man, I can't believe, can't believe this stuff is happening. You know, I can't believe that nobody seems to care that this is happening in our country. And uh, that's kind of what drove me the kind of uh, the urgency, the urgency to do something like is nobody else standing up? Does nobody else care? And I guess when I made that decision, to run as a candidate, that was a bit, that was a much bigger decision because I've, I've been watching the media like a hawk at that point for, for a couple of years. And I told other PPC candidates, I told them, guys, it's, it's not like a maybe, maybe you might get smeared. Maybe you might have your reputation dragged through the mud. No, that is a guarantee, my friend. Mm. That's a guarantee. By associating yourself with this party, that is an absolute guarantee. So, you know, buckle up. And I thought of that before deciding to to run as a candidate. But the reason I did is because I thought if I inspire just one other Canadian, then I think that's that's a job well done. If I can inspire one other Canadian to to kind of have hope for to, to kind of turn this country around or to to kind of call out the bullshit uh, part of my French, then then yeah, it's then it's totally worth it. You know, when I look at that, you know, when you made that decision, there's a, certainly a political, we'll call it idealism or political altruism that would, you know, drive somebody to run. But when you're looking at what's happening in the country, was there some fear in behind it going, like, I'm afraid what what the hell's happening here? And and so was some of your decision just driven by the fear of what could happen and, and then on the other side of that going, maybe I can make a difference? 
do you, because I, I look at what's going on in the country right now and I look at the divisiveness, I look at the, you know, what our federal government's doing. I look at the disconnect and inconsistent data and decision-making processes of the provinces. And it, mm-hmm. it, it actually, it frightens me in some regards. Now, as an entrepreneur and as a business owner, you know, I move, I, I pivot with whatever has to happen. I'm a survivor. You know, I'll keep doing it. I've got one business in Edmonton as we speak right now. I don't know if it's going to get through 221. I'll, I'll, I'll be really happy if it does, but it's really, I have no idea. I mean, because I don't know mm. when they're going to open up the economy again. Uh, and I'm looking at the decisions that they're making, even in that regard. And it just scares the shit out of me because I don't get it. Like, I really, really don't get it. Uh, we can shut down small businesses, you know, small retail as an example, yet, which has total control over their client base coming in and out of their out of their stores. Yet, we can line thousands up at Costco and Walmart and pack them in there, literally. I mean, that's not denying anything or that's not t- you know telling a story about anything. That's actually happening. And they can make that make sense. That, that frightens me that somebody can make sense of that. And, and so when you, so is there any fear based for you? You're a young man, you want to make a difference in the world. So is there some fear in behind that or what else kind of percolates in your head or, or in your gut around this stuff, Greg? I think it's just simply having foresight. It's having foresight and and kind of, I don't even know if it's necessarily assumption as much as it's kind of having a fair estimation that I don't think this stuff is going to get any better if I just sit here. And I don't see, I'm sorry, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get too deep into politics, but I'm not too impressed with the Conservative Party of Canada in terms of, you know, really trying to turn things around, trying to be strong on what they believe in. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, I'm not satisfied passively watching this happen. And I think I think my age might have something to do with it. Sure. I I'm the part of my brain of that wants to have a family and settle down is is growing more and more by the day. Mm-hmm. And along with that, it's like I think of my childhood and with each passing day, I'm more and more grateful for what my childhood was growing up in the 90s in this beautiful country and I want to fight to protect that. You know, I, I want to give back everything that was given to me growing up. And and that's kind of how I look at it. I, I really want to I, I want to do something to try and maintain what uh, what I had in this country growing up, because I, I think it's definitely something worth fighting for. And, I, and I, I'm sorry, I think you're foolish or anybody is foolish to not see how that stuff is at risk at this moment. You know, there's a there's a part of it, too, is that. You know, so Maxime uh, Bernier, I happened to listen to a couple of interviews of him this summer. So one of the things that I, I try and do is I try and listen to all of the leaders, you know, and I'm going, okay, mm-hmm. you know, let, let's not just me drink a, you know, a, a, a conservative party Kool-Aid or a yeah. liberal party Kool-Aid or, or uh, any, like, like, let's do the research on both sides of it. So I'm buried in research. I do a lot of research myself. I have a research team economically with what's going on, but I nice. really, really do pay attention to what's going on politically. And, and so how did you come across Maxime? Because I, 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 I have to say, as I listened to Maxime on two or three, probably three interviews, and there were, there was a couple of real lengthy ones. I don't know if they were podcasts or what they were. I came off that and I, you know, and, uh, I went into, I was speaking with my wife, Stephanie, and I said, 
have you listened to Maxime Bernier speak? And she goes, yeah. She says, I was going to tell you that you've got to listen to him. Like, he's got a really, really strong message and a strong platform. I think it's going to be years before he can ever get anywhere. But man, oh, man, is he and he's really tight. So how did you come across Maxime? Why did were you politically? Did you do that research were, or were you just looking at? you know, making liberals wrong or conservatives wrong or like, how did that, I mean, that's so easy to do, but I mean, how did you, how did you do it? Yeah. How did you do it? Well, I, I saw him, uh, walk across the house and say, Hey, I'm, I'm not going to be part of a, uh, you know, a losing formula anymore. This, uh, the LibCon dichotomy, I'm going to start my own party. So I saw, I saw, I witnessed that happen because it was actually all over the news, right? Mm-hmm. When uh, he, he lost the leadership race and then soon after um, started his own party. And I was watching that and I was hearing what he was saying and it was making a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And and that's pretty, that's, that's pretty well it. You know, I, I was seeing somebody who, a Canadian politician with balls, and I thought, oh wow, he's he's calling out, um, you know, corporate welfare. He's he's calling out this, these absurd amounts of of foreign aid. You know, he's 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 he has these policies that is making sense to me to putting Canadians first, putting our economy first, and and calling out corruption in a sense. And um, it, it's it's funny because like if anything, that is a far left sentiment, mm-hmm. and yet we we were characterized as this far right party. You know, very <laughs> but it's, interesting. It's so not far right, which was really interesting about it. It's like the there's a story that gets told there. But let me just talk about a little bit about politics and the media. Why don't you see more press around Maxime? Is he what's he you know, like? Why aren't we hearing more about him? Why is it not? You know, why isn't he showing up right now, even exactly, you know, as an opposition, why isn't he freaking standing on the tallest buildings and, you know, shouting our, our current politics down? Like what's going on? Yeah. Well, I mean, there, unfortunately, well, let's, let's go back to the earlier point. You talked about how everybody's watching American politics. Nobody cares about what happens in this country. Yeah. Well, to be fair. The states are the best when it comes to marketing and selling things. So, like their 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 news media is so entertaining. Oh, it's yeah, high yeah, energy. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's sensationalized. Sure. Yeah. Trump did this. Did you see that yeah, yeah. up tonight? The, the impeachment trial. It's very it's very entertaining. Mm-hmm. Entertaining. I, I I make I always make jokes of like, oh, I didn't see that episode. You know, I, totally. I'm not up to date on that uh, reality TV show because that's, that's what it feels like. But um. I forget who said it, but they basically summed it up very well with, you know, in Canada, it's the opposition that holds the government accountable, not not the news media. Mm-hmm. That's a huge red flag. Mm-hmm. Okay. Our our news media, like the whole the whole purpose of um this is what I learned in school. The mass media is there to facilitate a, you know, balanced conversation. So we make sure all the ideas are being heard so we can come to a decision as a democracy, as a democratic society. And if you don't have a fair conversation happening in the mass media, then sorry, we don't really have a fair democratic society. And 
of course we know I've even growing up, I understood that the CBC was a little biased, which makes sense because you know, they're, they're funded by, by taxpayers, by the government. They obviously have a soft spot for more leftist parties. That's somewhat understandable. I would definitely argue in the past few years though, it feels a lot more like propaganda, but I digress. What happened in 2018 though is major. And I, I could talk for hours on this, but to summarize, there was a $595 million bailout plan for trusted journalists in Canada. And as I explained in that one video for small to medium-sized business owners, like this is, you know, if you pay somebody to do something, they work for you. Mm-hmm. So it, there's, a, there's a major incentive, whether, whether official or unofficial, whether implicit or explicit, you know, there's a major incentive for news media to make the Liberal Party look good because they're paying, they're subsidizing their business. Mm-hmm. And and I, I made the I made an analogy in that video as well. It's like you know, imagine getting uh, you're a restaurant getting subsidized by the government. Oh, but sorry, um, if you want this government money, you need to put a huge poster of uh, Justin Trudeau in your restaurant if you want that money. And you know it may sound ridiculous to you, but that's uh, that's that's a pretty accurate analogy of what's happening in our news media, unfortunately. Well, the, you know, here's a comparison. You know, and I and I come back to Rain and the Real Estate Investment Network. One of the things we don't do is we don't sell real estate. So we provide economic research. Okay, we 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 drive that bus. We drive it hard. We're national in scope, and there's we're second to no one in providing research. And as a matter of fact. I'm going to argue these days, given the past year and a half where I've taken our research team and and we as an executive team have driven our our research, uh, I think it's even arguably better than some of the banks. And here's the reason why. Wow. Here's the reason why. We're unbiased. I make mm. I don't give a shit if you buy a piece of real estate as 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 a member of our community I care only in that your goal is to create a financial future investing in real estate. So I want to support you in your goal, which is buying real estate. It's actually more uh, important to me than ever that we don't, we are not biased in our research because if I'm selling research or if I'm selling a piece of real estate in Hamilton, guess what the best place to invest is going to be? In Hamilton. Because I'm I'm biased, right? So we have never sold real estate. We're the only organization 28 years later that has never done that in terms of in the space we play in. And that's because we can be unbiased about our research. So if we think Hamilton sucks, we say Hamilton is not the place to buy. And here's why. So we, we do that. Now, back to your whole point is, which is what the problem that we face with media and what's happened in terms of their funding is they can't be unbiased. That therein lies the fundamental challenge that we as Canadians looking to our mass media, you know, our, our, our major players, because we don't really know, are they really telling the truth? Are they really telling the whole story? Or are they just telling the story that enough to appease both the public and, of course, the, the government, which funds or subsidizes whatever they've got going on? That really pushes my buttons. And, you know, this goes back to what I said earlier, which is journalism in its truest form, investigative journalism just doesn't exist anymore. And it seems like the investigative journalists that come out with an opinion and a view of the world and especially these days are either censored or shadow banned or whatever's happening. I mean, that is to me is, uh, is 
is almost criminal or arguably is criminal. And so how do we make decisions? So we go back to, we see somebody like you that comes out and you, you know, you make it fun, you get satirical, but ultimately your message is really clear on what's happening. I mean, it's shining a light on what's really going on in behind the scenes. Do you think, now here's an interesting part of it. So you've got a political view, great. You understand media, awesome. You then go, okay, so no, I'm going to go this, this, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have some fun on YouTube and I'm going to start pushing out. Do you think you're making a difference in terms of having people look at the world differently? Do you follow what I'm saying? Because here's what I think, here's what I I find is like people just, they may not, they, they just, they, they only follow, let's say that we'll just use this as an example. They follow the liberal party. So everybody else's view is not worth listening to. Right. So, so do you think you're making a dent? Can do you think you can sway people to looking at the world differently? I I, sh- I sure hope so, but I I will tell you to like kind of break down that answer. There's uh, there's echo chambers. Sure, it is definitely a thing. We we live in a world of echo chambers, and it's it's almost like we're living in different worlds. Mm-hmm. You'll talk to somebody, and it's like, what world are you living in? I'm living in this world. What world are you living in? And it and I I really feel like you know there's there's jokes on Twitter about how people put pronouns in their bio. What I think people should put in their bio is where you get your news. Mm-hmm. I got my news from CBC, BBC. CNN. Okay. Mm. That tells me a lot about a person. That tells me a lot about their worldview if, if that's where they get all of their news from. And, you know, if you, if you get it from, from different sources online, then you're going to have a completely different worldview. I would love to tell, just say, yes, Patrick, I'm making a huge difference. But I do recognize that a lot of my audience, as far as I can tell, are already have share my worldview. So it's almost like I'm just kind of entertaining these people, so to speak. However, going through the campaign as uh, as a candidate, I feel like it was a crash course on learning about the kind of dark reality of human nature. So a lot of what I'm about to say is very cynical. But um, when I ran as a candidate in this in this election campaign, what I learned about politics or what I learned about elections is it's not like a popularity contest. It's not like a marketing war. It is a popularity contest. It is a marketing war. And I'm sorry. Did you, I'm sorry. Did you think the voters actually cared about the policies? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. I would show up at the door. I would say, hi, you know, I, they'd be happy to meet me. Oh, a young guy in politics. That, that's great. And then they would learn I was from the PPC brand recognition. That's the racist party slammed the door in my face. Wow. And that happened like clockwork. And that was a big, not, not a huge shift in thinking, but again, added even more urgency because I realized a little bit of media bias, mm. a little bit of kind of like, you know, misleading kind of mischaracterization in the media. It manifests in a very ugly ways in Canadian social life. I, I even had uh, grown men who were, who were also running as, uh, as candidates turn their backs on me at a debate. It was very childish. It was very, it was very, uh, it was very interesting. But um, I was going to say along with that, and, and this, is, this, is the ver- this is the very cynical part, which uh, might get me in trouble, but I think it's relevant to the conversation. 80% of people are kind of, common people 
And, you know, I don't want to bring up, you know, intelligence specifically or IQ levels, but it's like 80% of people are kind of, you know, common, common people. Mm-hmm. And, and the 20% is a little bit more intelligent, so to speak. So when dealing with politics, when dealing with elections, when dealing with, you know, how to spark a movement or kind of make social change, you kind of have to keep that in mind. And that's actually kind of affected the way I look at sales and marketing and communications now. Because, you know, I had a certain perception of like how, how to be an effective salesperson or effective marketer, but kind of after that kind of uh, little detour into politics, I, I kind of realized that that's almost a really good assumption to make about everything that the common person, they, they don't care. They don't know. Start with that. They don't care. They don't know. And start with that. Yeah. I think there's a, you know, of course that's the way democracies run, but I, I know for myself is that you know, I've had many conversations with people over the years where we're talking politics coming up to an election or after an election or whatever it might be. We start talking policy. We start talking about decisions made and they're, they're not even mass media informed. So they really don't know, you know, it's, it's the mm-hmm. joke, you know, Justin was a good looking guy and he could, you know, do handstands or whatever the story was. Right. So, <laughs> and, 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 and he seems to be, you know, a kind of whipping boy for those kinds of conversations, but because they're true, but here's the more of the fundamental is as, as I'm talking with individuals. So you've got you, Greg, or, or me, or any number of people that we may know that are literally paying attention to what decisions are being made or not being made, where money's being spent, not being spent. What are, is our government doing? What is their policies? You know, what is it that they've put in place that makes sense? So we're, we're paying attention to the issues is my point. Then you've got individuals that are not paying attention to the uh, issues, have no comprehension what it is, and mm-hmm. their vote counts for as much as my vote. And that yep. kind of, I know it's a democracy, but man, that pushes my buttons, you know, and I'm going, really? And why do you have an opinion? Why do you, you know, so that's an interesting kind of thing that I wrestle with every so often. And, uh, you know, there's nothing, anyways, that's just that. That's just something I sometimes wrestle, wrestle with is people that don't understand the issues, yet they're going out to vote, but they're voting based on, I don't even know what they're voting based on. They just feel, well, they need to vote. That's what they're told to do. They, they're they supposed to vote and get out and vote. And and so do they just look at the ballot and go, okay, I like that name. Uh, so those are some of the challenges that I think we see, you know, a, a any country sees. So where am I going with that? I have no idea. But the point is this. You, I, yeah, I go, ahead. go ahead. Oh, well, I was just going to speak to that to yeah. say, um, I, uh, conservative needs to toughen up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, conservatives are people you were talking with Chad on your uh, on one of your previous podcasts I listened to. And you brought up the term Canada first and Canadians first when Mm -hmm. talking about Trump. And, you know, if if you are I would probably define that as somebody who is who is more conservative, whatever you want to call it. But, um, you know, conservatives really need to toughen up in terms of the current like winning liberal leftists, whatever you want to call it, they, they are, they, they are winning, they are winning. And you might, Oh, they're using these dirty tactics or they're doing all these unfair, they're winning. Mm-hmm. And if, and if conservatives want to ever get voted in again, they need to, uh, they need to kind of, you know, play ball, you know, they need, they need to have a ruthless kind of war room and, and really start to play, play ball. But I can be more specific with that Conserv- And this is, this is getting right into politics, into war room talk, but conservatives need to change the framework. They need to change the moral framework and they need to say, you know, you know, what about the, what about the, the veterans that are uh, committing suicide? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a horrible trend that's happening. What about the homeless? What about the, what about the drug addicted? You know, there's, there's so many Canadians that need our help 
today. And also, this is what I do now, and it's quite effective because you were talking about low information voters. And uh, I'm trying to think of a of an example. I'll say something. I'll I'll, I'll tell. I'll, I'll tell somebody, um, oh, oh, the, the Alberta oil is dirty oil. And, I, and I'll say, well, do you know that Justin Trudeau prefers to buy it from slave owners in Saudi Arabia? Well, I'm not sure if you know this, but in Saudi Arabia, they tend to treat women like slaves, like not across the board, but that tends to happen a lot. So which is a more dirty form of oil? And, and by the way, you, you're so passionate about this. You should be a little embarrassed for not knowing about this. Mm-hmm. And then I, I push the shame back onto them for not knowing. You know, shame. Uh, I know it's. I know it seems kind of unfair when 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 leftists or liberals will use shame to make conservatives feel bad. But we got to shame them back, not because it's the right thing to do, but because it works. And and if we want to, you know, like fight for our country, that's kind of what what needs to happen. We need to play ball here. Here's my observation around politics, and uh, you know, some of what's happening these days is that there is no, you know, in Canada, there is no far right. You know, it's not, we've got nothing that's right. Nothing. Uh, conservatives, uh, you know, you, you know, you've got two or three parties and none of them are, are right. Like, there's no such thing. There's barely even middle. Everything is swaying left because that's what gets... <laughs> No, but that's true like in my world. I agree. I agree. You know, I agree. Because I agree. we've, you know, within uh, the world that we live in, it seems, is that it's really politics over policy every time. And this is what I see happening time and time again. Instead of, to your point, conservatives got to toughen up. I think liberals got to toughen up. You know, e- even in their platform, they lean so far left. Rather than have a great policy that makes sense, Mm-hmm. They they don't they they actually go politics and go oh no we got to make sure that we're getting reelected like that's their, their that's the that's their agenda and I mean that's always the joke that you know the only job of a politician is to get reelected but when we start choosing politics over policy we're, we we suffer as a country now arguably with pandemic Trudeau might argue well, I'm making these tough decisions that you know we're locking people down for the people and this is what Canadians need and da 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 da. And, and, and there's no room to say, you're full of shit, dude. You, like, this doesn't work. It's not working. And why are we continuing down this path? Because the fallout of your decision is far greater than the pandemic. And, and, and quite frankly, it's like that is, doesn't matter because there is that, that population that supports it because of the fear-mongering around what the flu is all about, you know, the death tolls, you know, the, it's all of a sudden become a a case-demic as opposed to a pandemic. We're counting cases as opposed to what's really going on in hospitals. Potentially, ICU is going to be overwhelmed. Well, we've known it for months. Why aren't we building out ICUs? Why aren't we bringing doctors back from retirement or nurses back from, you know, being off? Like, it just seems there's no plan around expanding ICU if they're really concerned about it. You know, lockdown seems to be the only answer. So those are some views. This goes back to what I said earlier, is everything is policy, not politics, or uh, politics, not policy. And it seems all politicians are tough to take a stand on policies that make sense. That's my my rant, my very brief rant. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, I've only really been following politics closely for about five years. Mm. And from what I can tell, and, and I hate to sound cynical, but it, you, you're right. It's, it's, it's about winning the election, mm-hmm. unfortunately. It's always been about winning the election. And, and in my experience, from, from what I've seen, finding an actual politician who is truly there for the right reasons 
they're not in a huge supply. They're not in huge numbers in the House of Commons. And of course, that's a very outrageous thing to say. But, you know, let's not forget how old some of these parties are, how old, how long they've <laughs> been around for. I've been listening to Pierre Polyev for a while now, and I'm starting to like him. He's he, at least he's a great opposition. You know, he 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 calls, you know, he calls uh our prime minister and finance minister, he calls them out on their stuff all the time. And I think it's, it's I, I would like to hear and see more of that. And he's, he, yeah, he's one of the only voices of reason in, yeah. in the House of Commons, as far as I can tell. Yeah. So tell me something. OK, so we talk politics. Um, you're you're doing your YouTube thing. Uh, what's what's your goal around that? Around my YouTube thing? specifically? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm interested in what drives young, good-looking, politi- politically kind of driven guy to get on YouTube and do these satirical uh, kind of rants, which are really, really good. And you go all out on them. I mean, you do you do some really cool stuff and fun stuff on it. So what drives that? What's behind it? I think a big part of it is to vent, mm-hmm. honestly. Mm-hmm. To vent and to kind of just show people my perception of the, of the world. Like I've I've studied comedy quite a bit and and they talk about how satire is kind of or comedy in general, like you kind of put a filter over reality, but sometimes it's almost like even more clear mm-hmm. than actually looking at reality, right? Sure. Um and, and I got to say it, it is it is kind of a natural thing where I like, for example, one of my first hits when I was started to run uh, for the PPC, I wrote this song on guitar, which was like a parody making fun of Justin Trudeau. I wrote this song because I was venting, because I was like angry at this at this person and what was happening. And I made a, you know, it was a cover of like pop songs um, making fun of Justin Trudeau. It was, uh, uh, hey, I'm a feminist and this is crazy. But that girl, Jody, she disobeyed me. Uh, and all our other friends like that doctor lady, I kicked them all out cause she disobeyed me. I'm a feminist. I swear. I miss her so bad. Miss her so bad. Anyway. Um, so it was, it was very much like a song I wrote on my guitar. And then months later I was at the PPC convention and we were right near Parliament Hill. And it's like, I, sh- I, you know, I have my wig just in case. And I'm like, okay, maybe I'll film this music video. And it kind of just happened organically. And I kept putting out videos during the campaign because I knew that the best way to make the most amount of noise is to, you know, show up, give people my card, tell them about my YouTube channel. They can learn about my stuff there. You know, I'm, I, w- I had just been working as a director of business development for a video production company. And, you know, the testimonials are there, I believe in video and it's like, you know, this, this just makes sense. And then by the end of the campaign, I actually had subscribers who were like, we love your stuff. And I'm like, I guess I should keep doing this. You know, it's something I'm, I'm passionate about. And, And I guess, like I said before, if I can just inspire one person, if I can just get one person to kind of, huh, tilt their head a bit and, and, and look into Canadian politics, actually truly engaging with Canadian politics, then that's a huge victory for me. Because as long as the majority of Canadians just trust the CBC or just trust everything they hear on our mainstream news, uh, nothing is going to change, unfortunately. You know, there's a there's a part of it. So I kind of walk a line. I vent sometimes. You know, you know, JG, my, my chief growth officer with the real estate investment. You know, he'll 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 talk about politics, which always gets me fired up, and he calls me fired up, Francie, and you know, because I can, <laughs> I can get, let's go. I can yeah. really get at it, and because it just is so incredibly frustrating to have to 
listen to it, watch it. And more frustrating is to people only see one side of it. That, that just is like, mm. and it's interesting. I got into a, I'd posted a couple stuff, you know, a couple things in LinkedIn and, and it was really about the carbon tax and, you know, the 2030 initiative and, you know, 170 billion and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going, how is this even a priority right now? You know, we're in a country mm-hmm. that is arguably, yeah. you know, arguably doesn't make a, it doesn't move the needle globally in terms of the impact we have environmentally. And, mm-hmm. and yet we're, this is our focus. Well, 2 million people are almost 2 million people are unemployed. Well, small businesses are literally shutting down. Well, you've got the Federation of Independent Business, you know, Canadian Federation of Independent Business going, somebody needs to pay attention to what the hell's happening here. Yet we're, we're driven to do this thing called save the world and save the planet. Anyways, I I posted a couple of things in there uh, on LinkedIn and it was interesting to see and hear the views because a number or I shouldn't say a number there's three or four different guys really committed to environment and green going mm-hmm. no this is this is you know this is a priority it's important. Canada's got to be a world leader. Here's the quote. Canada needs to be a world leader. I'm going, we're 37 fucking million people. We're not going to lead anything. Like, there's just not enough of us. There's not enough impact. And I get it. I, you know, be a leader. Got it. Understood. You know, be that that small country that makes a huge difference in the world. But we're just not. I don't buy that. And I don't think it's where our priorities got to be right now. Now, so what I did in, in all of this is I said, okay, let's just say that you're right around the environment. I don't have to agree with you. Let's just say you're right. The environment, it's it's it, it makes a difference. We got to you know tax and 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 kind of shut this whole gas oil and gas thing down and quit driving gas cars and <clears throat> let's just say all of that is true. Let's just say all of that. Where do we make that a priority over saving the country and the economy of a country in the middle of a crisis? To me, it's like walking into emergency room in the middle of having a full-on heart attack. They do the triage and the doctor goes, you know, that heart attack, it's really serious. But you know something? I think you got to look good and I would do something with that nose. We really got to work on that nose, get a nose job. That's what it feels like. It's like, it's so ridiculous, yet that seems to be what's happening. And that's where I can get fired up. But the point goes back to that whole long story is what you said earlier. Where are people getting their information? How does it become so one-sided? And one of the guys on there says, well, no, Alberta will benefit the most from that. Jason Kenney goes on a freaking rant, both written and video, saying how catastrophic this whole thing will be to Alberta. Yet this green person, this environment, I don't know what else to refer to him as, and he was, he, his, his role was environmental. He's going, no, this will be the best, this will be awesome for, for Alberta. And, and I'm going, like, how can you, like, how can that statement be made when you've got all of the absolutely legitimate opposing uh, information? It's, it's enough to drive any sane, sober, intelligent person completely insane. Because I'm guessing that this And drive person, them to drink so they're no longer sober, because that's what well, I feel like. <laughs> sure. But uh, I'm guessing this green person was short on details. Of course. And, and this, is, <laughs> this is across the board. This happens. I did, I did a specific video that's like 15 minutes long doing all the research on green energy. And it's, 
it's 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 just baffling it's 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 so baffling that this is so popular that people are so on board with it because even when you talk to people at the forefront of the field and you really grill them with questions eventually it'll be like well yeah it's not perfect and like we'll still need a lot of oil and we can't really phase off of oil yet by any means necessary so why the hell are we neutering our oil and gas industry here in canada it's absolutely criminal what's what's going on i know i get fired up about it i i can only imagine i've only ever visited alberta but i tell people yeah unemployment in calgary is really bad did you know that happened before covid (laughs) like people don't people don't realize this and and it's again i if you if you look at the the riding map across Canada, you know blue, Total, got, yeah. Saskatchewan, Alberta, blue. Yeah, and if you watch the 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 mainstream media, you know it's you guys. I, I mean, I could talk a lot on this topic of political correctness, but they do this thing so consistently where they very politely dismiss, sometimes dehumanize conservatives or conservative minded people mm-hmm. but oh but they're so polite and they're so nice mm-hmm. oh they're so nice about it and it's there's something very sinister about what they do but that's yeah, politics that's politics right there baby that's you know that's the whole thing about it right that's what and so here we are okay so enough politics you know we have our views we understand no 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 i no you nothing to apologize i'm running the show I, I i wanted it to i think it was good to go there i needed the rant too so here's 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 what i want to know tell me a little bit about your background greg in terms of growing up you acknowledged that you had a great childhood you came up you're now kind of independent you're you're got some political views you've gone on a political journey you're an entrepreneur do you come by that honestly? How did you end up getting to there? Yeah. Um, were your parents, were, were, what, what did they do? Were they entrepreneurial or were they just going, Greg, whatever you do, we're behind you and you'll be awesome? My, my, my parents were very much, you know, go to university, get a job. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the, the message I got from my parents. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it's cliche to say, but I, I think the kind of the political journey kind of found me. You know, it was some, I I went to university and specifically college for radio broadcasting. Okay. And I was told for two years in radio, the CRTC rules are very important. If you break these CRTC rules, you're going to get your license taken away from you. And we must worship the CRTC rules. Mm -hmm. And then some years later, after being in college, I saw this Toronto mayoral election where this controversial candidate, they didn't let her play her ads on the radio. Mm -hmm. And they were like, she was given no reason for it. Say what you want about this individual and her views. It's like, that's against the rules that I was told for years are super important. So it was a very clear, like, uh, why do we even have these rules? I was told I had it hammered into my brain that these rules are very prestigious, very important. It's the whole reason our democracy works. So when I saw those rules being broken and nobody caring about it, I was very alarmed by that. And I guess I'm somebody who really values honesty. And 
so yeah, when, I guess when I saw that happened, it, you know, it's, it's not like I was like, you know, waking up in a cold sweat every night, but it was one of those things where, you know, during my breaks during the day, I would kind of be going on Twitter and kind of seeing more of the bias, more, more of this sort of stuff happen. And I thought, you know, I think more and more about how grateful I am to, to live in Canada. And it's just like, I, I, I can't just kind of stand by and watch this happen. Yeah. And I guess the other part of it too, which really inspires me to do comedy in this sort of stuff is we doesn't really feel like we live in a free country anymore with free speech anymore. Maybe technically, you know, aside from hate speech laws and a couple other strange ones they're introducing, we're more or less in a free country. But socially, there's really this kind of social um, social acceptability reigns in Canada. That's what I tell people, you know, like it's, oh, well, we, we have to fit in. We can't, you know, we have to go along with what everybody else is saying. And that's something that's really started to bother me as somebody who likes comedy, actually. Like, like first and foremost, it's like, I really want to, you know, have fun with words, have fun with jokes, have fun, like have fun. Cause I mean, growing up, playing hockey, being in the locker room, staying up late with my friends, talking about ridiculous stuff and just kind of like messing around, talking shit. Mm -hmm. That's something that I have, like I really hold dear is something that I look back on with very fond memories. And the way things are going, you know, we're, we're, you know, <laughs> we're raising kind of like little communists or like, oh, you can't have this opinion. You can't have that. Or you can't say that. Can't say this. Well, and here's like, the, can't, have, can't have fun. But know? here's like, the, but here's a question for you then. You know, you, so Consider your views. You're like you say. You're a young guy that has strong views. You've gone on the journey. You've gone on. You're you're interested in what's going on in the country. You're not the norm in that age group. So in your age group. So in that cohort, no. right? So so when we look at what's happening with COVID, what that drove, I'm I'm seeing divisiveness that I've I, like I I didn't know it could get this severe. You know, yeah. it yeah. is, it's, it's unbelievable. It's happening not only, you know, between, you know, provinces and cities, it's happening between friends, it's happening between couples. I mean, it's just unbelievable mm -hmm. the divisiveness that's happening. And that, that actually does frighten me. To your point, it's like, you know, don't have a voice, don't say anything because you don't know. There's people making phone calls going, oh, they had too many people in their house. And like, it yeah. become, it's becoming this, there's, uh, mask and anti-mask and vax and anti-vax and like the it just is mind-blowing i take that and i say that's leadership and i don't give a shit uh, that's my view of it i believe that's leadership that's our political leadership right from whether it be federal mm. provincial or even municipal leaders it they to your point they're you know, nobody wants to take a stand everybody's afraid to have a point of view so they buy in you know as much as that's that's the point. I, I can go on about that, but I see that as a breakdown in leadership. Now, you mentioned family a little bit earlier on. You know, you you look into your future as a young man, and you go, you know, I see more day by day that I'm, you know, family is going to be really important to me. Mm -hmm. When you look at it today, and I have grandchildren, so I'm 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 really really saddened and fearful for my my grandchildren and and the world that they're going to be emerging into as young adults at some point. How do you, as a, a a young man, potential possible father in the future, how do you look at the world and 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 kind of get flat with or even square that up in your mind and go, you know, no, I want to have wife and kids, and I look forward to that. How, what's your view of that? 
Uh, that's actually, believe it or not, a very spiritual one. Mm-hmm. Uh, believe it or not, I I did mention sobriety earlier, and I'm not afraid to share with people that I am part of a 12 step program. Mm-hmm. And along that journey, I I came to really embrace what I like to define as my human experience. You know, I've had a lot of emotions of sadness, emotions of loneliness, and all this stuff, and I've realized I should welcome these feelings and be grateful for these feelings instead of trying to escape them all the time. And, you know, easier said than done. Sure. But at the same time, it's like, this is, I'm having a human experience. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm here, Mm -hmm. you know, to have an experience as a human being. And so as I've kind of continued on that journey, I've thought of having a family and it's kind of taking on a new definition of like not, not having a family because I'm supposed to have a family, Mm -hmm. but having a family because that is the most human, beautiful human experience I could, one could possibly have. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not really negotiable for, for me at this point. And, you know, I, I've this sentiment, yeah, but you're right. The sentiment of it's, it's very kind of interesting how it's been inverted, how having a kid is selfish. How could you bring a child into this world? I think that's a little, I don't know. I, I really don't like uh, that mentality. I don't buy into that mentality. Uh, whatsoever. And I, I mean, it's, it's true from a financial standpoint, of course, like, well, how am I going to provide? How, how am I going to deal with this? All this craziness is going on. But um, I, I think it's very, it's too bad that things like politics, things like the state of the world are, are kind of deterring people from, from, you know, trying to fulfill their lives with a very beautiful human experience, like, like having a child. Mm-hmm. It is an interesting time. And I mean, you know, if, yeah, there's been a lot of frightening times. Um, imagine what was going on during, you know, the uh, depression or after the war. I mean, everybody's happy and excited, but there's still things aren't happening. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons where one would ask the question, should I have a family? And it's, is it the right time? And how dare you bring mm-hmm. a child into the world? I don't know if that view, that view is a relatively new view where people get a little self-righteous around what are you doing bringing a child into this world you know it's i guess a little bit if we all had that view but i was just more from your experience in terms of uh and you answered the question by the way so it was just more about given your background given what you're seeing in the world today and and the fact that at some point you want to be a father does it do you have a view of you know that does it frighten you? You know, because that was the end of the question. That was that was really it. Yeah. So you answered it great. So I, I'm, yeah, I get it, totally. So tell me, what does the future hold? What are you going to do? Are you going to uh, what? What? What does the future hold for you? Are you going to expand your business? Are you going to expand your YouTube? What's your What's some of your your goals as we, you know, experience 2021, for example? Yeah, I, I would like to keep going with the consulting for sure. Um, you know, working with, with bigger and better clients. And I do prefer to work with clients that, that I like, obviously sure, of course. I'm happy enough to be at the point where I can, you know, choose to choose who I work with and who I don't work with. But I am very passionate about that because especially with these lockdowns, it's, I, I, it's, it's turning into more of just like, oh, I want to, you know, make a living to like, I, I want to help people at the same time. I can really help, help them mm-hmm. try to capitalize, survive, uh, in, in the, in these, in these crazy times. So I definitely want to, uh, to do that. And, and especially, you know, having, having foresight, I, I really am concerned of, of, of where, where things are going with our economy. And I'm recognizing more and more that, you know, you can, we can talk about political power all day, but 
there's a lot to be said about institutional power mm-hmm. and the power of a corporate that a corporation has. Uh, and you know, when you, when you talk about vaccines and like airlines and stuff like this, it kind of becomes very interesting. <laughs> you know, controlling where you can and can't go based on a, a corporation's um, uh, bylaws. So definitely, um, definitely want to be doing more uh, more consulting work. So feel free to reach out. And then along with that, yeah, I, I I'm constantly talking with different you know, patriots and conservatives and things like that to expand more, uh, more YouTube content. But really my goal is to, uh, I, I, I use the term normie, you know, I, I want, I want to reach more normie Canadians. I would love to have Canadians take their politics as seriously as they take their hockey. Mm. That's my goal. There because you go. There you go. Say, <laughs> That's a good benchmark. Say what, say what you want about America. Americans, whether you think they're dumb or what have you, they really treat, they really kind of honor the, uh, you know, the constitution and their democracy. They really do kind of treat it like a sport. And I think that Canada is young in comparison. And I think the next decade, especially Mm -hmm. is really going to be formative years for Canada to really see what we're made of, to really see what our character is. And um, for any, you know, entrepreneur or business owner or, you know, real estate investor who might be um, listening, you can make a difference mm-hmm. with, with small baby steps. You can get involved. And I, I mentioned this, this passive optimism that a lot of people have. And I think it's very dangerous to have this passive optimism. Oh, just two more weeks, just two more weeks of lockdown. Oh, I'm, I'm sure despite everything that's happened, I'm sure our government will make the right decision. Despite everything that's happened, I'm sure they'll make a good decision. That scares the shit out of me. (laughs) The the, the government counting on our government to make the right decision. This frightens me. Frightens me. Absolutely. And, you know, getting involved in politics is not something that you should take lightly, but, but just know that I foresee, and I don't want to scare people with this, but like I foresee down the road, there's going to be a, there's going to be a crossroads where are you going to stand up for, you know, what you believe Canada is about and what you believe freedom is, or are you going to kind of do the safe and secure thing and just kind of be safe and not ruffle any feathers. And if, if your heart is saying something to you, if you, you want to try and, and stand up for something, listen, listen to that, listen to your intuition because, um, and and reach out to me if you want to know how to kind of make a meaningful change or meaningful influence. Because I do also want to say politics is ugly place. It's ugly and place. people, people, yeah. people will ruthlessly yeah. drag your reputation through the mud exactly. and try to yeah. unperson you and all that stuff. And yeah. so it's not to be taken lightly. Yeah. That being said, something that I am quite obsessed with is, is this kind of formula is this kind of like these tactics of what's what many people call optics of, of looking optical of being professional and being able to be a strong conservative at the same time, mm-hmm. because that's, yeah, that's something that I, I'm becoming more and more interested in because I, I do look at the long term and a lot of this fear stuff that's going on. It just, it just turns our minds to mush. Yep. So, there is that um, old phrase, yeah. right. You know, and, and the divisiveness that we see in the country right now between people, friends, families, all the rest of that's going on. You know, there is that, phrase and I don't remember where it came from, but ultimately it was, you know, united we stand, divided we fall. And and ultimately mm-hmm. that's that's my right now one of my biggest concerns is that this continues. I don't know how do, how do, how do we stand and how is it possible to move forward with confidence when 
you really don't, it's so divided right now, there is a lack of direction. That's a concern sure. for me as we go forward. And and so why I'm interested and why I'm attracted to a conversation with somebody like you, who's, you know, putting it out there, doing what you're doing. And, and I can go to the other side and, and have the same conversation. I'm, I'm good either way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I do have my views based on my research. So Anyways, we go on. Greg, it's been great to have you on the show. And as we wind down, we have to wind down because I can talk politics and I could do all this for a long time. But I could speak to the divisiveness really quick if you wanted. Yeah, let's do it. So uh, the reason we are so divided with with the left and right thing is I define it as we're pitting personal feelings and personal safety and personal hurt against personal prosperity. So personal safety on the left of everyone's feelings need to be protected, everyone needs to be safe and secure versus personal prosperity. The, you know, the, the right to, to uh, be prosperous and like have a good economy and all these things. So it's, you know, it, it is kind of an understandable why people would be butting heads because these are things like, you know, personal safety, this is something sure. that people get passionate about. And then, you know, personal prosperity, this is kind of what we've fought for in the past, fought and died for sure. in the past, right? And to kind of break it down further, I really see the left-right dichotomy of who is left-wing, who is right-wing, their understanding of human nature, believe it or not. So I, I think that in my estimation, people who are more conservative have a more realistic idea of what human nature is, which is not not very pretty. It's kind of kind of ugly. We kind of need some rules here to kind of keep people in line. And then left-wing people kind of have this perception of human nature is that of a good Christian. Mm-hmm. You know, this kind of idea that all people are just generous and, you know, they're just giving and they're just, they're all just great people. We don't need all these rules. People will just behave themselves. And I, I would, you know, I don't want to get into it. I would definitely make the argument that one worldview or perception of human nature is a bit more naive than the other. But uh, anyway, we'll save that for another conversation. We'll, do that. <laughs> we'll end on that note. And before we do, though, I always like to go down a couple of rapid fire questions with my guests. Greg, you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Favorite book. Do you have one? Uh, well, I just finished reading uh, Gad Sad's book, The Parasitic Mind, mm. uh, How Infectious Ideas Are Killing Common Sense. I highly recommend it if you're kind of curious about all this political correctness stuff that's going on with, um, you know, identity politics and all this insanity. He's a professor from, um, he's originally from Lebanon. But uh, he's a professor in uh, Montreal, Gad Sad, The Parasitic Mind, highly recommended. It. It's a good summary of how, how political correctness is really a bad thing. It's kind of like thinly veiled fascism. It's polite fascism. And he kind of breaks down how kind of it's really making people dumber. He says it in a very uh, academic way, of course. <laughs> That's beautiful. Okay. iPhone or Android? Android. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I'll, although I do, I do have a Mac computer right now. But yeah, uh, Apple's kind of gone downhill since uh, Steve Jobs passed away. So. Okay. If you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? If you weren't doing it, what else would you be doing? You know what? If, if, if I was happy with the politics in this country, I would, I would probably just solely be focusing on being a young professional in Toronto. There you go. Do you have a favorite inspirational quote? If you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. Yeah, one of my favorites. What is your favorite swear word? 
that's that's hard to say but i mean you have to say fuck really yeah you do it, it has to be it has to be it's so versatile it is <laughs> yeah um if heaven exists what do you want to hear god say when you get to the gates sup bro What's good up? to see you man good to see you and then fist bump you know <laughs> a little fist bump with god Pretty beautiful cool. room desk your car what do you clean first the room yeah do you have a favorite tune favorite tune i don't know if i can pick a favorite tune i, I really like uh it's weird I, i'm so, i have an eclectic mix i really like classic rock and like 90s hip-hop mm. but i'll say i really like uh gimme the loot by uh, biggie smalls and i also really like strawberry fields forever oh there you go so yeah. those, are, those are two kind of like opposites Opposite. but, uh, yeah yeah how about favorite movie I kind of have an embarrassing answer for this, but uh, Zoolander. Huh? Like the yeah, yeah. Zoolander? Yeah, yeah, Zoolander. Yeah, yeah. Why is I, it embarrassing? I, I, Why is it well, embarrassing? It's, it's just, it's such a silly movie. And just call it like my favorite movie. It's, you know, some people are like, oh, Apocalypse Now or like Titanic. And I'm like Zoolander. But uh, I think I like it because it's an absurd comedy, but it's cohesive. It all exists in the same kind of crazy reality of male modeling. So perfect. I don't know. And what yeah. are you grateful for today? Family. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm grateful to have you uh, on the show as a guest, Greg, as I am with all my guests. And I'm also, I'm grateful for family, but I'm also grateful in spite of the political views of the world these days and mine or yours or anybody else's. I am very grateful to be living in Canada and I always appreciate the fact that it is Canada. And uh, as much as we sometimes think it's a shit show, it's a great country. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.